Drone Talks is an online platform to spread ideas and to educate in the drone ecosystem. At Drone Talks, we discuss technology, regulatory, business, and ecosystem topics openly with industry leaders to enable and foster innovation for a better future. Hi, everyone. I am Esther Kovac, CEO and founder of Drone Talks. And today I am talking with Amit Ganje, who is the CEO and founder of Andra Technologies. Hi, Amit. Hi, Esther. Good talking to you. So I should admit to the audience, me and Amit know each other in our years. And I know that his background is um, engineering. And um, I'm just always wondering about how an engineer comes to the point when, when um, he or she decides that, oh, okay, I'm open my company, my own startup, and I will focus on drones and air traffic management and everything involved regarding that uh, industry. You're right, I'm an engineer. And as long as I remember, I've been fascinated by aviation and everything that was flying. Fast forward a few years, I ended up becoming an engineer and then I ended up actually starting a company, not in the aviation space, not in the drone space, but in the telecom space where I was working. And along the way, my passion for aviation never faded and I managed to get my pilot's license uh, and built an experimental aircraft that I used to fly. And then eventually uh, in late 2000s, I was recruited by the U.S. Department of Defense to come and work on some drone and communications program because of my communications background and because of my aviation background. So that's how the whole drone journey started. I started working with defense drones long before the commercial drones were uh, really popular. Then eventually, when I transitioned out of uh, Department of Defense, uh, I had some ideas. We filed some patents, got some awards based on some prototypes uh, in DC called the we got the coolest technology award. That's how it all spurred. I'm like, okay, there's something here. We're trying to solve a problem that really exists. And that's how Enra Technologies was born in the fall of 2015. Congratulations. That uh, seems like a really well thought journey. And, um, you know, if I want to introduce Enra Technology to, to anyone, what does it mean airspace management? Airspace management means a lot of like it's one of those terms that has been highly abused because airspace management means different things to different people, just like machine learning and AI. It's one of those buzzwords that if you ask 10 different people, uh, get 10 different interpretations. So from the point of view, the way we look at it, airspace management is ensuring the sanctity of the national airspace system, making sure all aircraft, whether it's... uh, manned aircraft or crewed aircraft in the new terminology we don't use manned we use crewed crewed aircraft or uncrewed aircraft uh, they both need to exist and share the same airspace whether they're small whether they're large whether they're flowing lower altitudes or higher altitudes and how do you build an ecosystem around it that enables the safety of the whole environment not just from purely a tracking or monitoring point of view but all other services that come into play so airspace management is kind of the glue that holds everything together to enable the safety of our airspace. That's a perfect definition, Amit. I haven't heard better so far. If I want to talk about other technologies, um, the audience may know that I I used to lead the Global UTM Association, so I had a chance to work with a lot of different UTM and traffic management providers. 
So if I want to talk about under technology, how under technology is different than the others. And um, I think it's also worth mentioning that they are one of the leaders in the UK currently with the future flight projects. Just wondering why a government choose under technologies. So what UNRWA knows, you know, what others don't. How do I answer that question and be politically correct? So I'm trying to think that. So I think the honest answer is we come at this industry from an inside-out perspective versus an outside-in. Because any, if you talk to anyone about drones, everyone gets excited and everyone wants to jump into the space and create start a drone company. We come at this industry from an inside-out. So we are not just passionate about the aviation, the safety aspect. We have lived and grown, grown up in this industry. And we are not just building the technology, we are driving the standards. Like I chair ASTM standards, one of the leading standards organization that's building the interoperability because at the end of the day, we have to build, you mentioned Gutma, I'm on the board for Gutma too. So building the harmonized skies, what we call it, or interoperable systems that can operate globally. So you need technical standards, you need specifications, you need agreement from different stakeholders. You need to work with air navigation service providers and regulators alike along with industry. So we not only worked on defining those standards, those uh, interfaces, we have actually built the solution, not just vaporware, built actual solution and exercised it operationally. Since our inception in 2015, we were one of the first companies to have a Space Act agreement with NASA to work on collaborative uh, or what NASA back then coined the term UTM. No one knew the term. So we were one of the first companies to have that agreement with NASA to start working on UTM research through the different campaigns and starting in North America with NASA FA and now globally. And to answer your question in UK, we've been fortunate to be, be able to work with different uh, folks in UK, DFT, CAA and Carable Systems and others since 2018 and doing the crawl, walk, run where you start building with some concept of operations, then building the interfaces and then trialing. So we are moving forward along with that. And so far, we've, it's been an amazing experience working with the folks in UK. And we have a dedicated team and office in UK that focuses on those efforts. We're talking about the UK here, but uh, most of the audience knows that a few weeks ago, the European member state accepted the new use space regulation. So I think Europe now is a really hot topic in the industry. Should we create this interoperability in Europe or how can we do that? What's your thoughts? It all needs to be interoperable. So by the way, we are engaged in Europe too. We are working with the Amulet, very large demonstration along with Cesar and other partners in Spain, Netherlands, uh, as well as in UK for advanced air mobility. But to answer your question specifically, EU requires the harmonized skies because eventually, not today, eventually you will have to, just like we had to do for manned aviation, you have to allow cross-border operations. Initially, EU countries may choose the best way to implement airspace management specific to their own state, but we need to have agreed upon standardized data exchanges and protocols, and they become very critical pieces to avoid a patchwork of airspace where you don't want to end up a few years from now where you have a bunch of these fragmented systems that cannot interoperate. And we have learned, all of us in the aviation industry have learned these lessons from the manned aviation and the significance of being able to fly internationally is an economic driver. So that's why we need to focus on that right from the get-go whether it's for small or large uncrewed aircraft and their integration with the man side. 
Talking about small or large aircraft, what about UAM? Do you think, you know, the UTM companies and the UAM initiative has some, some activities together? Is that needs to work together or is it totally separated or, or how do you see? No, there, there are touch points. There are subtle differences in the deployment models and the con-ops for the two small U.S. versus urban air mobility or what's called advanced air mobility in many cases. But at the end of the day, all these have to coexist in the same airspace. We can start off and say, hey, small U.S. will only operate below certain feet and stuff like that. But when you move into the these UAM, uh, this UAM world and the UAM corridors, There will be situations where these UAM aircraft have to transition from higher altitude to lower altitude as they are landing and take approaches and departures, whether it's at a vertiport or at a ground-based location. UTM drones may need to pass through a UAM corridor or, for example, they may experience an off-nominal event that causes an unplanned uh, entry into a corridor. Likewise, a UAM aircraft may experience an issue or may have to interact with uh, within the airspace where small U.S. are operating. And similarly, there may be other crewed aircraft or traditionally commercial or general aviation aircraft or like a Medi- Medivac helicopter that has to crisscross a UAM corridor or a small U.S. So there's data exchanges that need to be defined for these to be interoperable. And a lot of concepts that have been built up for the UTM over the past many years translate one-on-one towards the UAM airspace management as well. I, I think at this point, it's probably not best to get into the details, but the basic building blocks are already there. And then you add the specific use cases that handle the UAM specific deployment models. And these are add-ons, not ORs. These are add-ons that bolt on top of the UTM and you refine those concepts, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And, you know, we're talking about UAS, UAM here, and I am really convinced they are just around the corner and um, they will be implemented earlier than, than people think, you know, to our everyday life solving problems but i am convinced because i'm working in the industry and i'm sure you're convinced as well but what about others so when you talk about airspace management or drones or uam to any of your friends or colleagues outside of our industry what's the what's the view regarding social acceptance what do you think and what can we do as an industry to to boost social acceptance That's a million dollar question right there, Esther. So that's the big challenge because like we can solve all the technical challenges, we can solve all the regulatory challenges, but eventually all these use cases rely on public acceptance, rely on end customers, because if at the end of the day, there are no customers, it becomes a nice big science experiment. That's what it becomes. So in terms of acceptance, I think you have to decouple small U.S. acceptance versus the bigger urban air mobility acceptance because the problem statements you're trying to solve are different. So the levels of acceptance might be different. So in terms of small U.S., doing simple line of sight operations, we see a fairly good amount of uh, acceptance there. But when we are talking about BV loss operations, especially in dense urban areas where you're going to be flying over houses, over residential areas, over people, that's where a lot of uh, this public acceptance comes into play. But however, what we have seen is if you tie it into a need, 
a specific need where, uh, for example, COVID was, has been, it has impacted most of the industries, including aviation, but it has also highlighted the need for innovative solutions, such as when if you have, if you cannot go out and doing deliveries, like for perishable items and stuff like that, or medical deliveries, like we foresee like medical deliveries happening a lot before I'll get barichos delivered to my doorstep, right? But we see medical because you're actually solving a need. So use cases like that or use cases like linear inspection for infrastructure and stuff, it increases the safety factor, it decreases the cost, and it doesn't have the novelty because there's that novelty factor where the business case might not align right away. It will be there eventually. So you have to look at this again in a crawl, walk, run. So we feel there are certain use cases that will get public acceptance sooner than others. And we see it a lot more happening, a lot more for small US. And then as we transition to your point towards urban air mobility, Jetsons, everyone gets fascinated by Jetsons and flying cars and stuff like that. And that will happen in our lifetimes, Esther. But uh, what will probably happen long before that is unmanned cargo delivery, like where there's no human on board because the safety threshold, and rightfully so, aviation has highest safety standards compared to, it's different when you're driving on the road and something happens, you pull over to the side of the road. But if you're in the sky, that doesn't work that way. If something happens, you can't pull over to the side of the road. So I'm not sure if I quite answered your question. So the public acceptance for UAM is probably going to take a little more effort because the noise threshold and seeing something small versus something large flying overhead has a different perception. I totally agree, Ami, totally agree. And I, I think also COVID helped a lot to enable drone services because people started to understand the benefits and experience it. So thank you so much for the interview. I think it was really insightful, Amit. Thank you, Esther. It's a pleasure talking to you as always. This podcast was brought to you by Drone Talks Online, a platform designed to spread ideas and educate in the drone ecosystem. Search for dronetalks.online to hear from more of our industry leaders and to find out how you can get involved.